0: Welcome to the Restore Body Balance podcast. Here we combine psychology, neurology, and biology to enact life changes that stick. Today's topic is, life is superior without anxiety. I welcome Miko Utanis.
1: Hi, I'm the co-producer of this podcast, and I'm going to be asking Colleen a couple of questions about today's topic. So how do you alleviate anxiety?
0: Well, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> it's a question for the universe. But as a cognitive behaviorist, I actually tell my patients that when we experience anxiety, it is the body going into that sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight. So we all know what fight or flight is, right? Mm-hmm. And have you ever experienced your handshaking or your heart palpitating or anxiety before, even something simple like a presentation or an exam? Oh, all the time. Right, so that's the body actually doing its job. So its job says, wow, I need to be prepared. And what I learned when I was at the Mass General Program, which was SMART, Stress Management and Resiliency Training, we actually learned that the body has two competing neural systems. The sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight, which is what you were just experiencing, or the parasympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system actually is rest and restore, rest and digest, rest and relax, rest and reproduce. So basically anything we need to do as a human being, optimally, we want to be doing it in the parasympathetic nervous system. But most of us are hanging out in the sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight.
1: So I have a question. Does anything trigger the anxiety like caffeine or things like that because I have a particular instance where I wasn't too stressed to do a presentation but I had a matcha drink beforehand and that made me it triggered some of the responses that you were just talking about where I had a physical response my hands were shaking I was I was like sweating profusely and I didn't know if it was the drink itself or if it was my body's reaction to the drink and the stress so I was wondering if you had anything on that.
0: That's a great question. Um, Sure, I think caffeine is a trigger to anxiety and stress. And so think about what's happening when we're in fight or flight. Mm -hmm. So the amygdala, the almond shaped little nugget inside your brain, is like your smoke detector, okay? And so your smoke detector doesn't know if you have burned the toast or if your house is on fire, right? It just has two modes. The amygdala, also has two modes. So it has to say, do I need to get out of this situation or defend myself? Or am I in the parasympathetic of rest, restore, rest, and relax being the safe zone? But because they're two competing neural systems, I often describe it as the gas and the brakes. You have to let your foot off of one in order to enact the other, Mm -hmm. but you can also gun it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you're wonderful green tea there, your matcha drink, I think gunned it, right? Uh-huh. So you are already at the threshold of a little anticipatory anxiety, which is healthy. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, we call that allostasis. So you running for the train, dodging a ball, Uh, a little anxiety before a presentation, all of that's very healthy. And that's called allostasis. We're we're constantly going in and out of that sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. But it's a great question to see what could trigger it. Mm -hmm. So certainly caffeine is one of them. There's also chronic anxiety and lack of sleep and inadequate nutrition. All of these things actually prime us to be hanging out in that sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight
1: that's interesting looking back on it i think a lot of those triggers were probably present on that day just because it was a 6 to 9 p.m class so i wasn't eating dinner and i had a lot of caffeine that day it wasn't my first drink and i just think that those triggers combined must have produced that reaction because again i wasn't I wasn't necessarily even nervous, but it was something about the combination of all of those triggers that I think produced this reaction to the presentation.
0: Right. And think about even something like going to the gym and working out, right? Mm -hmm. There's a certain amount of adrenaline that happens, but it's counteracted by our wonderful serotonin and our feel good neurotransmitters and hormones to get that sort of euphoria, but then the pleasant lasting effects of strength. So this is a great example. When we're in fight or flight, let's go back to, I like to say, running from a tiger, okay? Mm well. We're not at Jurassic Park, we're not hiding in the tree waiting for the monster to come, right? We're actually just having a presentation or going to an exam. So what happens is your brain senses you or senses danger, right? Because you're thinking this is stressful. Mm -hmm. But the response for the body is interesting because it actually starts to shoot off norepinephrine, epinephrine, cortisol, adrenaline in anticipation of having to defend itself. Right. Mm -hmm. So it wants to get to safety and security. So when I give the analogy to my clients and I say, it's like that smoke detector. Think about it. You know, you were a student at one point. Have you ever been evacuated from your dormitory or building for a fire alarm? Mm -hmm. Multiple times. And what's that like?
1: Well, it happens so often that people stopped taking it seriously, which was probably a little bit dangerous. But at first it was very alarming being a freshman. I think it happened in the first week of school and everyone was just it was mayhem. Everyone was running around. Everyone didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether to leave their stuff, take their stuff. And it was it was a process. I mean, I went to school in the city and getting into the elevators. It was chaos. It was a lot of chaos.
0: Right. Which keeps you in that sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight. Right. So all of the blood goes to your fists to fight or your feet to flee. Mm -hmm. And that is the purpose of having adrenaline, norepinephrine and cortisol and all those wonderful hormones and stress and neurotransmitters getting out there to say, get me out of danger. Mm -hmm. Okay. But at some point the fire department comes and it says all clear. Somebody pulled the fire alarm. Somebody burned the toast. But the building is not on fire, so you can all go back in. Mm. So, this is an interesting part of my job as a psychotherapist. So, you probably at some point in time trusted that the fire department or school officials said you could go back in the building. Mm. And did you go back in the building? I did. Okay, so that's a normative response, right? Mm -hmm. And that, again, is that allostasis. So we go back to baseline and we go back to the parasympathetic nervous system. But take somebody that their baseline anxiety is a little high, Mm -hmm. or they've had some experiences where the brain says, no, 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 I I don't believe it's safe. Now, whether that's a real circumstance or whether that's something we've created in our head, the brain is actually trying to save our life by saying, uh-uh, I'm not going back from the building. So when I treat people with anxiety and panic, for example, I will say to them, something is happening. You're either thinking something or you're experiencing something. And because your brain is uncomfortable in, in sensing danger or fear, it throws you without your permission <laughs> into the sympathetic nervous system of fight or flight. And so I often kid around with people and I will say okay so you need to say to your brain guess what the fire department came we're safe everybody back in the building which means norepinephrine back in the building epinephrine back in the building adrenaline cortisol I see you hiding back there you back in the building so in alleviating anxiety and panic We need to not only get to the parasympathetic nervous system, but also tell the brain that we're totally safe. So, yeah, so that's the best way is to actually not only tell the brain, which is where I get into my prescription of change of combining psychology, neurology, and biology.
1: That's really interesting. So the fight or flight response, do you think that with repeated exposure so something like a fire alarm so down the line are there different levels of fight or flight that's kind of what i'm getting at are there different levels of fight or flight where with the fire alarm as an example after a while if the fire alarm happened say when i was a freshman my response was completely different than when i was a senior so does your fight or flight response become desensitized in certain situations
0: absolutely that's exposure therapy right Mm -hmm. um but our brain is pretty strong. So think about every time, you know, we're not Pavlov and the dog in a controlled environment, right? Mm -hmm. So there are going to be times, as long as your brain thinks it's sensing danger, it will go into fight or flight. And there are ways for us to immediately, okay, so the phrase is, the mind relaxes when the body relaxes. So that's the key is that when we're experiencing panic or anxiety is to actually have the body get into that parasympathetic nervous system. And then we can start working on that coaching or the cognitive behavioral therapy that I do that actually can over time rewire your brain. Mm -hmm.
1: So getting into the parasympathetic nervous system is the key to life without anxiety more or less?
0: It really is and that's the practice that I'm so proud of right now is that I actually teach my patients very quick ways but scientifically based ways to get into the parasympathetic nervous system.
1: So. Something like caffeine would get you out of the parasympathetic nervous system, right? Yes,
0: because you're, yeah, you're, you're, it's a stimulant.
1: Yeah, so it's a trigger. So is there anything that is the reverse of that that gets you into the parasympathetic nervous system?
0: Well, that's a great question, Nico. And yes. So one thing, and I borrowed this from a a wonderful, uh, harvard maverick dr andrew Weil, who is now world famous for his integrative therapies uh, and practicing worldwide but at a hospital he built in arizona uh, he gives something called the four seven eight breath and the reason this works is that your diaphragm which sits right in the middle of your stomach it's like a giant parachute, okay? So when you take a deep breath, and if you wanna put your hand on your stomach, and if anybody listening wanna put their hand on their stomach, when you take a deep breath, your stomach will expand. So let's take a deep breath now. And your stomach expands. And then when you exhale, your stomach goes back in, okay? So this is the cool thing about the diaphragm, or they actually call it also diaphragmatic breathing if anybody wants to google that there's plenty on online um but when you take a deep breath and you expand the diaphragm the way i like to say to somebody is it trips the parasympathetic nervous system because it hits the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve runs pretty much from the base of your neck down to your spine but it's almost like if you've ever lost power in your house have you ever lost power
1: yeah recently i lost Power for a couple of hours.
0: Right. And so it either takes you going to your circuit breakers and tripping, right? Because something tripped it mm-hmm. um, and turning it back on, or waiting for National Grid or an energy company to, to turn it back on. So that's what happens when you take that deep breath and you expand your diaphragm. It sort of trips the vagus nerve. So with the 478 breath, Andrew Weil, Dr. Andrew Weil, teaches you to breathe in through your nose to the count of four hold it for the count of seven and then exhale for the count of eight. And it's probably not as important to our listeners about why that works. All I can tell you is that it does work, but it's, again, it's that idea of taking a deep breath, holding it and then exhaling because it's really saying to that person outside standing in the cold at midnight in the pouring rain, it really is safe to go back to the building. hmm But anybody with any kind of history where, or just a general person, I mean, I run a little bit anxious, you know, so your threshold for anxiety also could just be a predisposition. But the good thing is that you used an excellent term, we can desensitize ourselves to it. But there's also ways to elicit what is called the relaxation response. And I'll give full credit to Dr. Herbert Benson, also here in Massachusetts and founder of the Benson Henry Institute, uh, part of Mass General Hospital. He actually discovered the opposite of fight or flight, and he discovered how to elicit what he calls the relaxation response.
1: That's really interesting, Colleen. I think I will try the breathing techniques next time I have something stressful, like a presentation or something like that but I don't think I'm going to give up coffee or caffeine anytime soon. So that leads to my next question, which might be a wrap up. So getting into the parasympathetic nervous system or tripping it with something like a breathing technique, if that combines with something that's a trigger like caffeine, how does that reaction change? So if I drank a coffee before I was giving a presentation, but then I did a breathing technique, would that more or less cancel it out or would they conflict with each other?
0: Yeah, these are these are philosophical questions, <laughs> but also biologically and neurologically um, appropriate. So thank you for asking. And I will speak to my knowledge um, as a psychotherapist with my training. So when I I mentioned I was a cognitive behaviorist. So for years, 15, 16 years, I would teach my patients cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that basically means is we change your cognitions or the way you filter your information. And the neat example I give patients is if they've ever had an eye exam, Mm -hmm. you know, they put a little machine in front of you and they say, is it better with lens A or B? i do wear contacts so i walk out of there with some sort of prescription but if you couldn't see the clock or you couldn't see um your you know powerpoint at your class and you're squinting 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 and you go up and get an eye exam and then all of a sudden you put on corrective lenses be it glasses or contacts all of a sudden it corrects the distortion Mm -hmm. right so again that is what i did for the better half of my practice is teach people cognitive behavioral therapy. How do we change our cognitions? But it didn't work. Mm. And people would come back saying, I can't do that thing that you taught me, or I can't change my cognitions, or I keep going back to these old patterns of thinking. But it wasn't until I went through my training with Dr. Herbert Benson and his program, which is called SMART, Stress Management and Resiliency Training, did we actually find out that scientifically, biologically, we can actually elicit that relaxation response to where we're amenable to change, okay? Mm-hmm. So I can give you all the techniques in the world, but if your brain's not buying it, you know, they say, you know, basically your issues are in your tissues. So, you know, it's 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 a complicated process, but in short, yes, you know, we can look at ways of antidoting the stress by doing a breathing technique, not overdoing it with the caffeine, for example, because that's just sort of setting yourself up, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not eliminating it. It means antidoting that stress throughout your day and also looking at natural ways to get your energy back, right? So Mm -hmm. I love coffee, but I can't drink it after three, Mm -hmm. right? So it's also an individualistic thing. And that's also what I do in my practice is we, we look at you know how all areas of your life are interconnected and then you know my wonderful phrase that i use but i'm sure more people use these days is we use your lifestyle as medicine so if you want to keep drinking your your matcha then go for it (laughs)
1: well maybe i will i think that was interesting that you brought that up because it was actually the first time that i had matcha oh so that might have been the reason that it tripped, it tripped up my sympathetic nervous system was because I was used to coffee, yeah. so that was the normal thing that my body was used to because I could drink coffee at any hour of the day and be fine. Okay. But it was the matcha that I think might have tripped up the sympathetic just in that individual um, case, but I just was really interested to see Kind of if i did breathing that day would it have tripped it back but you i think you explained it great
0: so yeah. I think and i think you made you mentioned a good point which you can antidote the stress in the moment mm-hmm. but um what i teach people is actually how to actually start your day and end your day and then in the middle of your day there are wonderful techniques that you can do and, and what i learned again through mgh mass general hospital is you can actually, it's, it's cumulative, mm-hmm. right? So it's like your glass being totally full. So every drop there's a spillover. Every time you do a little mini, whether it's having a cup of coffee or taking a shower or, you know, you know, any folding laundry or the four seven eight breath, you actually start to antidote stress and you get that glass just a little bit down so that you can handle the additional stressors like a presentation. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's our next podcast topic is how to antidote stress in our everyday living and using tools and techniques that we naturally do so that we naturally habituate to start to antidote stress and get that glass down.
1: That sounds like a great idea.
0: Okay. So for now, we're signing off with our podcast at Restore Body Balance. Feel free to contact us at restorebodybalance.com. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter and any questions are welcome.